0: All right, we are going to continue in our, service, our, our series about what next, right? And this is between the resurrection and Pentecost. In our liturgical calendar, we'll be reaching Pentecost on the 23rd. And these are stories of things that happened between the resurrection and the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit onto his people. And so that we can learn some things. We talked about Peter and the restoration of Peter and, and how he needed to change his heart. He needed to have his heart changed. He had to go from uh, somebody trying to be out in front, trying, trying to be religious, to somebody that knew they needed Jesus. Um, and so today we're going to look at Thomas. I'll tell you why in a second, but I think Thomas has gotten a bad rap over the years. Uh, but I'll make that case in just a second. Our scripture comes out of the Gospel of John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, See my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen yet still believe. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as I said, I think he's gotten a bad rap. Because Thomas, you know, one, some, this one's not as much as the doubting part, but a lot of commentaries will try to make something out of, some kind of connection out of him being uh, away from the body of Christ, and because he was away from the body of Christ, he missed this, and so they try to make it a, a message about being connected up to the body of Christ, which it, that's definitely a message, I just don't think it's in here, right? Either explicitly or implicitly, it's just not there. Just Thomas wasn't there. It might've been for a good reason. He might've been taking care of his mother. We don't know. He just wasn't there. The second part is the doubting part. I don't think that's a fair title. Even though Jesus was, said that, that wasn't really Thomas's nature. He was, a, he was a go-getter. He was an all-in kind of guy. Back in the Gospel of John, on chapter 10, they were in Judea, they were in Jerusalem, and they were. They tried, the leaders, the religious people, tried to stone him, tried to kill Jesus. And then later in chapter 11, when he hears about the death of his friend Lazarus, he says, let's go back there. And his disciples, they just tried to kill you. You wanna go back there? And Thomas was like, let's go, we'll die with him, right? So he was, he had courage, he had conviction. I mean, What we're talking about is not just your run-of-the-mill thing. He saw his teacher, his Lord, his friend tortured and killed. And now his other not-so-reliable friends say he's alive. And he says, "Mm, I got to see some hard evidence before I believe that, I mean, that's, I would think in that situation, I would want to see some hard evidence. If someone said a friend of mine was resurrected, I'd have to see that. So I think that's, that's reasonable. And when he did see it, when he did see Jesus, his reaction was my Lord and my God. And so he was all in. And the thing is, this story is really not about Thomas. It's really not. It's about all those that were going to come after and believe. Thomas and his not being there is just setting up for the main message of this story. The main message is to all those that are going to believe and not see the hard evidence, not be able to see the resurrected physical evidence body of Christ, the wounds, the the sore, I mean, the the side, they weren't going to be there. And there's going to be a lot more of us than the early disciples that don't. And Jesus was setting up for this because that's what the whole gospel of John is about. Believing, having faith. You know how I know that? It says it in the next verses. It says, in twenty, thirty, and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's what the whole book is about. And this story about Thomas is a setup for all of those that are going to come after and not be able to see the hard evidence, but still are going to believe anyway. Because that's going to be most of us. But this is where um, there's a caveat. We might not be able to see the hard evidence, the physical wounds and Jesus standing before us, but that doesn't mean that there's no evidence that we can see. Maybe if we were in court, you would would kind of discern this as, or, or separate this from hard evidence and circumstantial evidence. What we have, you might say, is circumstantial evidence. But I've seen many, I watch a lot of court TV and ID channel stuff, and I've seen a lot of uh, good court cases made on circumstantial evidence. And I believe God has given us overwhelming circumstantial evidence that we can see. It's so much so that as you believe in the Holy Spirit and you look through the lenses of the Spirit, for me, it's not even circumstantial anymore. It is hard evidence. So we we can see the evidence. And there's too much, there's too much to bring up. That's how much there is, but in this time here, but I just wanna highlight a few of the, the pieces of evidence that we could see about God and Jesus and the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. So first is creation. The created order in Romans 1, 19 and 20, it says, "Since, that, since what we may sense what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to everyone. For since creation of the world, God's invisible quali- qualities, His eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. That's saying that the created order itself testifies to God. And as we, it's amazing, um, back when I was younger, I mean, we've accelerated in our knowledge of medicine and DNA, DNA and all of this stuff. You know, there was always this, when I first became a Christian, there's this science versus faith, science versus faith. And I never understood that. I didn't understand a lot, but I never understood Well, I don't know a lot of this stuff, but if God made everything in nature and in the universe, then science will not disagree with God, right? It won't won't be counter of God. And as we've learned more and more, that's exactly what's happened, right? Even non-believers that are scientists say uh, that the statistical probability of DNA strands being shaped in that in that order, and that precise, I can't even articulate it well to describe it. But for that to happen, it's, it's statistically impossible for it to be by chance. So the more we learn about the created order, the more it supports and gives evidence uh, about the creation, the more it supports and gives evidence to a creator. So we have creation itself. We have truth in the Gospel of John says, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And he prays for his disciples and says, sanctify them. The truth will sanctify them, right? They'll be sanctified by the truth. And so when we look at the truth, I was having a conversation with two of my kids a few weeks ago, and we were talking about faith. And and I think I shared a different side of the story when she goes, Dad, you believe 100%. And I said, absolutely, 100%. I said, I don't understand it all, but I believe it. Um, and I said, for instance, when I was a, not a Christian in my early 20s and trying to figure this out, the world, like human secularism, says we're all good people and we'll take care of each other. And if we're left to our own natural nature, we'll, everything would be rosy. And I said, well, that doesn't match up. And then I began to learn about what the Bible says about humanity, that we all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. I said, now I can I can resonate with that because, man, I know I'm a sinner and the world doesn't look too good. I was just talking to Paul. Um, we were talking about this book I had let him borrow to read and we were talking about human nature. We have advanced medically and Technology, oh, man, I am stumbling on my words today. Um, technology, all of this stuff, we have, we have made huge advances. As we can see, just flipping on the news, human nature has not changed. Right? There's, the, there's division and hate, and I mean, the list is long. So our nature hasn't changed, and that. The truth of the reality of this world always, in my, what I, my experience, always matches up with scripture. The nature of humanity, the nature of God always matches up. So the truth is evidence to the existence of God. It is evidence to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. And here we go, the Spirit itself is evidence now, we have trouble because the Spirit goes where it will go. It's hard to, to get a handle on it. It can be misused. I remember a long time ago, I was in this, wasn't in the Methodist church, but it was this organization, and we had a board, and boy, and it was ecumenical. And there was this one group of a couple that were in the same. And every time they disagreed with us, or we disagreed with them, they'd say, well, we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I was like, man, this is hard when the Holy Spirit's always on their side, All right? But we can just say whatever we want about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit will testify. It will witness to ours. It, in Romans eight sixteen it says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Very Wesleyan, right? He had had been a pastor and brought up in a religious family his whole life, and yet when he was listening to commentary on Romans by Martin Luther, he felt this overwhelming assurance that he had been saved. The the witness testified. And many of us have had those. I have those experiences often when I read Scripture. There's a lot of times I'll just start reading and nothing, and then something will just pop. And it'll grab me, and I'll understand it in a way that wasn't just common nature. I've had experience. I remember when I was mid-20s, we had moved from Chicago to West Texas. I was um, out in, on this retreat, and I was struggling there. I m- might not have been 100% then, but I was struggling. I was like, mm, God, I think this is real. I really do think this is real. But and I was, it was at night. I was out in my, by myself. And I was staring up at the stars clear, and I said, I think this is real, but gosh, I, God, give me some type of sign. I just need a sign, please. And I thought, and as I'm saying that, I'm going, Yo, you're being stupid. And then I laid back down, and in rhythm, I see one, two, three shooting stars. Same path, same thing. And that in and of itself is one thing, but combined, with the assurance of the Spirit that I felt about that? I was like, okay, it's what I needed. So it is the assurance of the Spirit, and that's not always uh, easily quantified or easily shared, um, but, it is, but you, when you have it, you know that you know that you know. I see some people shaking their heads, so you know. And then finally, the biggest, I think, I've shared with you before, when I was coming into the faith and in my 20s, I was a product of the world and believed what the world told me to believe. And so I was a little cynical about the miracles in Scripture. But as I began to participate in prison ministries and walks and certain functions where I heard testimonies or saw it for myself, people's lives changing, people's hearts changing. I mean, going from way over here to here, just a new person, the new creation. I was like, that's the true miracle. Any God that can change a heart and pull us out of the pit or just help us to see what we couldn't see, any God that can change a life and make a new creation out of somebody like even me That's the true miracle. God like that can do anything. And so I think the biggest, the biggest evidence of a resurrected Christ is to see resurrected lives in people, is to see changed hearts. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, and a new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. And that's the powerful. We talked about it last week with Peter. After that, it was hard. Some, some of this changing and transformation's not always easy. But it was hard on Peter. But he was a new person, a new creation in Christ. He was transformed. The Peter in, in the Gospels and the Peter in Acts are two different people. You know, the Peter in, in the Gospels in, in Acts there's a story of Peter and this, this guy asking them to help him. And the old Peter would have said, hey, yeah, it's all about us. And yeah, I'll take care of you. And it would have been very, had a big ego and narcissistic. And Peter's like, and the, and the Peter of Acts says, hey, it's not me. I'm just a man. I don't have anything to give you, but I do have Jesus. And he was bold And the the, the legend goes that he was crucified and he wanted to be crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. So he was a new creation. Paul, we hear in, in Acts, we read the conversion of somebody that hated Christianity, that hated Christian, persecuted, murdered, rounded up, threw in jail. He hated them. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees by his own words, and yet he had an experience with the resurrected Christ that changed him completely. He said, everything that I have gained and earned in my life and thought was important is nothing compared to knowing Christ. It's rubbish, he says. He was a new creation. That's powerful. What more evidence than we do, do you need? But it's not just people in the Bible. It's us. Yeah, I, I shared with you. I was at a memorial yesterday up in Fort Worth with for one of my good friends. His his dad passed away, and um, it was a, it was one of those blessings because you know I don't know if you guys guess, but I'm not too churchy. Um, but I am all about the gospel. I put up with the churchy stuff so that I can see changed lives. So I can see God work, see the gospel come in and change somebody. That makes everything else worthwhile. If that wasn't true, I wouldn't be a pastor. Being a pastor without that is the worst job in the world. With that, it's the best job in the world. When you see transformed lives, and we see people get dug in, and their hearts get hard, and you think that person's never going to change and then it happens. Two stories, two testimonies about transformation. One, I might have shared um, in one of my early churches when I was in seminary, there was this one woman. She was a good friend, and she was a good supporter of mine, but she would always come and argue and complain about her husband. And she goes, he's never gonna accept Christ. He's a agnostic. Sometimes he says he's atheist. He's just never gonna do it. And so about, it got to be like once a week we had this conversation. And she would get all riled up with me. And I was like, you're nagging me and I'm not even him. And, I, and so I said, I said, listen, and I could talk to her, we were friends. I said, do you know what you need to do to, to help your husband maybe come to accept Christ? He goes, know what? Tell me. I said, leave him alone. You're bugging him. He's not gonna do, he's not coming, you, just leave him alone. You be the best Christian you can be. A year later, I baptized him. Right? Changed heart. And he was a thinker, so he was an advocate for the faith. But yesterday, it was uh, my friend Eric's, um, I talked about him before in here, I think along at first, his dad passed away. Well, his, Eric's, I met Eric at Alliance where I was the pastor for several years, and that's where I met Eric's family, and I met his grandma, and his grandma was Miss Pauline, she passed away several years ago, and I went and did the funeral in San Antonio, And but my first one my first visits, they said, oh, you got to go visit Miss Pauline, I said, okay, I'll go visit her. Sweet lady, sweet lady. And I, I was going and somebody said, okay, but, but she's living with her um, daughter and son-in-law and that they were older. They were in their 60s. And he doesn't come to church here. In fact, I don't think he's a Christian. And in fact, he's kind of honorary. So just be ready. And so I went and I, I went to visit her and I was ready for him and he came out, I think at that time he was drinking and he had a beer, and he made sure he went and got it in front of me. And you he, he, he could tell he was testing me, it was to kind of be ornery. And he found out I was a little ornery too. And so we kind of went back and forth and joked a little bit, and, and we had a good visit. But, and then I visited her. But the story is, over time, he slowly, through visits, through interactions with his family with miss pauline she he began to go to church now and then he'd go on wednesdays and i i talked i asked him i was i said i could tell he was searching and he was what i'd say ripe right so i was like i need to get see if he'll go on a walk And I'll tell you his version of this before he passed away. He goes, yeah, we were at a team meeting for a walk and he was working one after he went on his and he was telling the story of how he got on the walk. And he said, well, Jim McClurg was my sponsor, Pastor Jim. And I just, if if this pastor thing falls through, he could be a used car salesman. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, don't you remember? You came up to me one day and said, Oh, Roger, you have to get on this walk, but you got to get signed up because I don't want you to linger because if you don't get signed up you and it gets closed, then you can't go. And he was t- stringing it out and making fun of me. And he goes... And I was telling him, but, but if, you don't, if you're not on the list and, it, and it's closed, then you're done. But get on the list. Hurry up and get on the list, because it, you can always not go and come off the list, but you've got to get on the list. He goes, okay, I'll call tomorrow. So he called the next day. He said, yeah, I'm going to sign up for this walk, and I just want to make sure it's open. How many people are registered besides me? He goes, just you. <laughs> but he went on his walk, and it was life changing. And we heard testimony yesterday at his funeral of how later in life his son talked about, Eric talked about how before he would debate you on anything, and then after he came to Christ, he would debate anybody about the resurrected Christ and the reality of Christ. And when he was in the hospital, he had asked, do you know Jesus? So... That's a testimony. That's all the evidence. To see a Roger Kuntz go from who he was to who he was when he passed on and where he is now, that's all the evidence I need. That's the most powerful evidence we have to believe. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your love and your patience. I thank you for changed hearts and new creations that only come through your love and through your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to die more fully to ourselves that we might believe more, that we might give more of ourselves to you as you have given all of yourself to us. Lord, we pray, I pray for each one of us that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes and that we could see the evidence of a resurrected Christ all around us, that we could see the evidence of a God creator and father all around us, that we could see the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the lives of others. Lord, it is plain to all. Give us the lenses of your spirit that we might see clearly.